It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnank. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President. Jonathan Kraft, Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And we know Eben has other things to do today. Uh, A business week chat or something like. I know he's talking about Super Bowl stuff too. Yeah, so he's uh, his duties are taking him to business week, but he's going to come back later and be there for our interview with Kevin Demoff of the Rams. But first, we're going to the inside scoop of what is happening in Atlanta as we gear up for Super Bowl 53. Joining us from Atlanta is Bloomberg News reporter Janet Wu, who got the cool assignment to be at the Super Bowl. Hello, Janet. Hey, sorry, guys. I took it from you. <laughs> See, now, the cool assignment, that's, this is not what I understand. Bar, you know I cannot stand sports talk radio. Janet, and you can hear the hum in the back. You can. Janet is on Radio Row, which I refer to as the eighth circle of hell, because it's every every sports radio station in the world and every jock who's yelling and, and has an opinion on the tight end and whether they should have thrown... All of them. Basically, 2,000 of you. Yeah, no, no, no. See, we don't do that. We're the business of sports. We don't really care. Well, Bar cares a little bit about the on-field stuff. But it's just, imagine 2,000 of the most opinionated, loud, and bad-smelling people on the face of the earth that in is, one room. I know I guess, it's a big room. That is that, me. But that that's where Janet it. is. Are you enjoying yourself, Janet? Uh, it's fun, but yeah, you're, you are correct. You have to give up your, all ideas of personal space for this week. Yeah, that's right. Keep your opinions to yourself. <laughs> Impossible. But one of the things you did do when you were down there, and I, I did this last year, is you attended the pitch day for the NFL Players Association. For right. those who think that players are just dumb jocks, you saw a different side, didn't you? 
Absolutely. This was something that you would see at Harvard Business School. Ten companies lining up, each getting about six minutes to pitch their ideas to the NFL Players Association, hoping that they'll partner up for a deal. And this is now in its third year. I know you covered it last year. So I spoke with the CEO. He says no exit yet, but they are making profit. And I can tell you they just announced the winner. It was a healthy food company. And they also had a company that is sort of a home weight training business, like the Peloton of weight training for at home. So no excuse to be flabby anymore. Uh-oh. A bar, there goes your excuse. Yeah, it's all done. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I buy one of these things? <laughs> Call the NFL, Mike Bar. I can get you a deal. Paging D. Smith. Uh, <laughs> I want to tell you, though, one of the uh, – the I spoke with two partners in this. So interesting. Kelvin Beecham, I think you've interviewed him before, currently an offensive tackle for the New York Jets. He has a personal portfolio now that's exceeded 30 companies, all seed and early-stage investments. I said to him, so you don't want to invest through other VCs? And he said, you know what, I'm not interested in the 3-4x return. I want to hit it out of the park. So this guy is really hitting it out of the park. Uh, he also wants to invest in drones. A lot of his companies are – drone companies, both domestic and international. And then Isaiah Kosovensky, very interesting guy, played with the Seattle Seahawks. He then went to HBS after he retired. He went to Harvard as an undergrad, and while he was there, and by the way, I should point out, he grew up in poverty. He was homeless. While he was at Harvard, one of his teammates then started Be Good, which is a fast food healthy company. That gave him a 16x return. And now Isaiah is about to close in the next month or two his own venture fund. They're targeting $100 million. They've raised about 60% of that to um, invest in sports-related uh, companies and health tech. Now, through the One Team Collective, which is sort of the, the union's brand for, for their VC, it, it, in lack of a better term, that's really what it is. Like, what they do is they get stakes in companies and the benefit for the companies are, because they're usually young companies, they don't have the money. They could never pay the union what they would have to in a normal deal to get the rights right. to use the players' likenesses and, and to get mm-hmm. that group license. But they give up equity in the company and get the NFL players in, in, in return. Right. So they're hoping that everyone will win at this game. What else are we seeing down in Atlanta? There's a big Coke versus Pepsi battle, right? It's, I mean, it's the hometown of Coke, yet Pepsi's in town. <laughs> it's a big soda pop battle. Uh, right. <laughs> well, food is is interesting here. Funny that you mentioned food because um, I took a tour of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And a couple things going on. You know, Chick-fil-A is, is a big Atlanta company. They are closed on Sunday. So they are going to be closed on Super Bowl Sunday. Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I was remarking, has the feel of its namesake car title. It has also that new car smell. It is unbelievable. The, the fans wait a minute, wait a minute. The, the stadium has a new car smell? Well, it's only a year and a half old, and I was walking oh, through right. and I said, this has a new car smell to it. And I mean that everything is absolutely perfect. No, nothing ripped, nothing torn, nothing uh, stressed yet. It is absolutely beautiful. And I walked in, soaring ceilings, three club levels where you can sit at a bar and then turn around, walk out through the glass doors, and you are at field level behind the benches. And it is $1.6 billion of fancy, including the world's largest digital scoreboard. But um, what really struck me, uh, many stadiums now have, on average, like 100 luxury suites. This one has 196. So basically, I said, this whole stadium is business class. There is no economy section. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a stadium. It's a cash register. 
Uh, seriously, they're de they're designed for, for. I mean, there's a reason why those club yeah. suites. First of all, the NFL teams don't share their club suite revenue, that they keep locally. So you're going to see the trend pointing towards the premium experience in the NFL. But is anybody down there talking about the prices of the food at the stadium? You know, Barr wants to go down and like a $20 bill and have 15 hot dogs. Well, this is what is interesting. And it, it's actually a really great move by uh, Arthur Blank, who is, of course, the co-founder of Home Depot and the owner of the Falcons and the really the push behind the stadium. He came out and told us that everyone expects the prices of food to jump on big events, especially the Super Bowl, he vowed not to raise prices a penny. And he also vowed to run average prices 50% lower than other NFL stadiums. And indeed, the food is a bargain. I was shocked. And it's really good. They, they have a good mix between regular stadium fare and pretty uh, nice upscale stuff. The other thing that you notice in this stadium is that um, there are bars, but luxury bars. The CEO of Arthur Blank's for-profit companies told me they aspire to build a stadium that could be confused with a Ritz-Carlton. Oh, and I shoot. think they did it. I mean, there, there's... And I'll get my art. points! Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm a loyal Marriott oh, points guy. Man. Janet, I, I, we could go on and on, but unfortunately, we got to get out of here. By the way, you look good in your hat. I saw that on Twitter. <laughs> it's a nice lighted hat, folks. So go on Twitter and Ooh, see. There's Janet. a lighted hat. It is. It's a lighted yeah, Janet hat. Janet Wu News. Yeah. Uh, you know All right. Rock now, though, one more thing: a $7,500 Swarovski uh, crystal helmet. They've made one for every team. Michael, you tell me which one you won, and I'm gonna go fight for it. I, I want. Oh man! <laughs> uh, if, you, if you have the Lions one, I want one. She said it was fancy down there. It's too. It's fancy and schmancy. Yeah, it <laughs> Can be yours for seventy five hundred dollars. <laughs> Can't expense that. Sorry. <laughs> oh man, Janet Wu, Radio Row activity, and you're taking it all in right there at the site of Super Bowl Fifty Three in Atlanta. Thank you so much for joining us. And now Scott Evan and I, we will have our interview this week with COO of the Los Angeles Rams, Kevin Demoff. Kevin Demoff, and what about Mr. Demoff? Does a lot of he's got he's got a lengthy bio. Does a lot of things. Why don't you hit the top one? I'll hit the first one, which <laughs> he is the team's top front office executive and liaison to owner and chairman Stan Kroenke. Liaison to the billionaire. You better know your stuff. Yes, and if Mr. Kroenke is there, you better. If, know. If, if the phone rings and it's Mr. Kroenke on line one, it's Demoff on the other side. And by the way, he is overseeing the design and the construction of the 298-acre sports and entertainment district in Inglewood. Bigger, bigger than the Vatican. It is. Big, I know. That, that's, you know, it, I was going to chuckle, but you're right. Bigger than the Vatican. It's Wow. It's going to serve as the future home of the Rams. And he will also lead the club in all business operations and works closely with general manager Les Snead and head coach The Golden Boy. I'm saying Sean McVay <laughs> to develop the club's strategic plan for player signings and acquisitions. Kevin, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. Great week to be talking about the Rams. Ah, uh, yes, it sure is. Here's my question. Well, one, how you feeling? We know you're a little under the weather. <clears throat> You know, I lost my voice uh, yelling against the Saints two weeks ago. It's never really came back. And then media night kind of killed it again. But, you know, I feel great, excited. The team is excited. And, you know, what's a little thing about a horse voice? All right. So if, if the team wins, if the Rams win, you can count on him being unable to say anything. <laughs> the inaudible <laughs> Kevin Demoff. But let me start with this. It's always great to win. We know that. Winning cures all ills. We've heard that from many owners. Question. Because of where you are, selling a new stadium, could this have come at a better time for the Rams' business operations? 
No, I, it couldn't. And I think you're, you're in the right cycle. We're still 18 months from the seat, the stadium opening. And what's happened is we had a fantastic honeymoon when we came back in 2016. But those were really people who were excited the NFL was back. And we've built a fan base steadily over the past three years. And obviously the team's performance over the last two, whether it's winning the most games in the NFL, scoring the most points, having the greatest point differential, and now fortunately playing in the Super Bowl. I think it's gotten L.A. excited and taught them what winning football can mean to to a city as diverse and different as L.A., and I think that's been a great thing for us. Uh, only tongue-planted half-in-cheek here. How does one determine when L.A. is excited? Hey, you know, it's car flags, right? <laughs> it's the car flags. There you go. <laughs> Determinant of L.A. success, I would say it's either that or whether dogs on their leash are wearing Rams gear. So, you know, those are your two L.A. moments. But I think for us, we've looked at it. You know, in terms of merchandise sales online, you know, in the millions of dollars since we won the Saints, I think it's been three or four million dollars since that point. Uh, we had more viewers watch our Cowboys and Saints game than any game we've had uh, since we've been back in L.A. We averaged 73,000 fans this year in the Coliseum, which is essentially a sellout in the construction. And, you know, I think the greatest testament to what this team has achieved still is that, that epic Monday night game where we had five days to sell tickets and we sold 77,000 tickets in five days all to Angelinos because there were no visiting fans and I think that shows you that the power of sweeping through LA and I think you know last week and this week obviously we're here in Atlanta so we can't see it but all the signs point to the city really having an epic party for the Super Bowl. I kind of liken this to the success that the Golden Knights had uh, in their in their first year in Vegas, obviously a little different in that you're not in your new venue yet, um, and you're not in your first year there. But you know <laughs> it's the timing just about the same, except for all those differences. Oh, no, the timing does certainly work <laughs> out as you think about a team in a in a new market uh, trying to essentially establish itself for for a new set of fans. Yeah, and I think the one the parallel with the Vegas Knights is great. I mean, there are some similarities, some differences. I think the hardest thing is you know in Vegas you're starting fresh. There's never been a hockey team there. And, you know, people can automatically be fans. I mean, one of the greatest challenges in Los Angeles is there was no NFL team for 20 years, but people were still NFL fans. So whether they came from Chicago and New York or were still Bears and Giants fans, whether they grew up in L.A. and became, you know, Packers or Patriots or Cowboys fans because those teams were playing well at the time, you know, you're not only trying to go into a new market. You're trying to shift allegiances and change habits on Sunday instead of watching on TV in L.A., you know, there's a bar for every team in the NFL that people are accustomed to going to. It's getting people out of those bars, away from their homes, and to the stadium. And, you know, it's been a challenge with the Coliseum being 95 years old, but we're really excited about where that's leaning heading into our, our new venue at Hollywood Park. And we, when we think about the, the financial benefits of, of making a Super Bowl, I think a lot of people like to cast things directly forward into next year, right? You, you may sell more tickets. Uh, fans are going to be a little more excited. Um, you just mentioned merchandise sales. You said what, 3 to $4 million just since in, in the two weeks since you since you guys beat the Saints. How does that compare to the merchandise say I mean, what is the, is that the equivalent of, of a month in the regular season for you? Is that three months in the regular season? Yeah, I think it was close to what we did the entire year uh, in 2016. So, you know, when you look at just what that does, and, you know, that doesn't count in stores or in games, but I think, it, you know, everybody says, what's the value of going to the Super Bowl? And I think it's all the long tail of, you know, getting people excited, having them buy more merchandise, whether they show up to games, whether people try new season tickets. I assumed all of our season ticket holders would enjoy this experience and want to come back. And, you know, but when you get in a new stadium, it's getting people excited about that process. And mostly it's trying to convince that person who might be a casual fan to become an avid fan. I think that's the, the greatest peak that we can go and the greatest benefit we can get from a Super Bowl run, whether we win or lose, is 
getting someone who, who might love another team, but their kids love the Rams to get a little bit more invested, or someone who's maybe casually watched going to a, a Super Bowl party on Sunday, becoming an even bigger Rams fan. You know, I think it's just those are the, you know, it's really fan-based building, and I don't look at it as much as dollars and cents as it is just trying to convert that next generation of fans. We're talking to the COO of the Los Angeles Rams, Kevin Demoff, and Okay, somebody's got to ask about the elephant in the room, so it'll be me. I'll ask it. You know that we all know that the Rams are a hell of a football team. That's not that's here nor there. But your reaction to the call that Saints fans are like, oh my goodness, that uh, they're upset with. Uh, your reaction to it? You know, I think when you watched it live, it was very much a bang-bang play. I think when you slow it down, you certainly see, you know, what most of us would consider to be pass interference. You know, and, you know, but I also look back over, you know, we've watched a ton of games going back to preseason, the regular season. There have been some calls that missed that, you know, we think are, are just as key or, or just as obvious. Um, and there are calls that are, you know, made that you kind of shake your head and you say, I don't know that I agree with that. And I think it happens – in every game and every year, this one's magnified. It's in the final two minutes of a game to send someone to the Super Bowl. But the officials do a fantastic job all year. They have a really hard job. And whether there's, you know, protocols that we as a league and as teams can help get the officials to, to make changes or give them greater latitude to make calls, I think we'd be all for that. As a team, we have voted for the expansion of replay or certainly been in favor of it the past few years at the league meetings, you know, in March. But you know, I look at it as... You know, it was a call that probably should have been made, but I don't ever want to take anything away from what our players and coaches have done since April. Uh, overcame some difficult circumstances on the road in New Orleans, you know, down 13 points, came back, found a way to win, and that's what we prefer to focus on. But I can certainly understand the frustration of, of any team when a call doesn't go your way, whether it's the NFC Championship game or Week 2. Was there ever a, a discussion about maybe using the play or having some tongue-in-cheek marketing around it? I mean, a, a, a no-flag-on-the-play uh, T-shirt let, let me or answer something no. like that? <laughs> you know, there are good marketing ideas and bad marketing ideas. <laughs> and then, and then there's this. I think those would sell to a specific subset. <laughs> Crazy. Well, by the way, you, you guys have Todd Gurley. So, I mean, my goodness, it, it's it, you, he could be in line for MVP of the Super Bowl. Well, I think one of the great things about our team is we have a lot of players who could be in line for MVP. And when you look at the season, whether it's Aaron Donald, who may win Defensive Player of the Year, Todd Gurley, who's led the league in touchdowns in back-to-back years, Jared Goff, who's been a pro bowler the past two years. You look at someone like... Brandon Cooks, who had a 100-yard game against the Saints last week and playing his former team. And the Patriots, Robert Woods, has been steady for us. Uh, you know, but then you look at the Chiefs game, you have someone like Samson Bukom, who has a two touchdowns, the first player, I think, in 30 years to have two touch, defensive touchdowns in the same game. You know, so there are a lot of potential stars. And, and I, I left out Greg Zerline, who kicked the longest field goal in you know, NFL playoff history to send the team you know, to the Super Bowl. So all of those things, this has always been a team effort uh, across the board, and it'll be great to see. Hopefully one of our players will step up. And as we were touring the stadium yesterday and we saw the MVP room, we just hope it's one of our guys and not one of the New England players staying in that room after the game, no matter who it is. We are chatting with Kevin Demoff, the COO of the Rams. And, Kevin, we had Brian Rolap on the show about a week ago. He's the chief business officer at the NFL, of course. And we asked him about stadiums in general. And I said, if you were building a stadium today, what would it look like? This is what he had to say. 
I don't know the exact number, but I would probably say fewer than I would have had 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I just think anyone in this business needs to create an amazing experience for people to come and spend their money and spend their time. And um, I think if I had a dollar to spend on an extra seat versus a dollar to spend on making the seats I have better and more interesting and a better experience, that's where I'm going to put my dollar. All right. So you are building 70 plus thousand seats. That sort of trends away from what people are doing now, the more intimate. What's the thought process? And when it's humming along, what kind of cash register will the stadium be? I agree with everything Brian said. And most importantly, I think Stan Kroenke does as well. I think he just viewed it as let's do both. Let's put dollars <laughs> in extra seats and let's put dollars into, you know, making those seats just as great. And I think in our stadium at 70,000, you know, the capacity to get up to 100,000, that's really market specific. And the one thing I would add to what Brian said, which I thought was spot on, was everybody should build the best stadium for their market. And in Los Angeles, when you're going to host Super Bowls and college football playoffs, we're fortunate enough to host the opening and closing ceremonies for the 2028 Olympics, for World Cups, for all of those major events. You want the capacity to get up to 70, 80, 90, 100,000 for those truly super events. But you also want the, every seat in the building to have an amazing technological experience. That's why you know we're hanging the world's largest 8, 8K scoreboard. And Take that, Jerry Jones. Yeah, sorry, eight, sorry, sorry, 8 millimeter, 4K, 8 <laughs> millimeter. But who knows, by, by 2020, it may be 8K. But, you know, it is you know, triple the size of basically any board in the league, two-sided. Everything in the building is digital. And I think when Stan envisioned coming back to Los Angeles, his, his biggest message always to everybody working on this project is you can't undershoot Los Angeles. And that's really been the driving force of, of the stadium, which we believe will be the best in the world, and the entire 298-acre campus, which features hotels, restaurants, shops, offices, this is truly a 365-day-a-year destination. I also think that's the next wave of stadiums where they're really multi-purpose, not just in terms of how you use events in them, but what's done around them. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We are chatting with Kevin Demoff, the COO of the Rams. One last question I always ask people when they're building new stadiums is cost overruns. Where do you stand on budget? And particularly the price of steel right now. We talked to Tim Laiwiki, and he said because of what's going on geopolitically, the cost of the renovation of Key Arena was skyrocketing simply from the price of steel. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean, we, we face some of the same challenges on, on steel. And I think one of the things, the construction market in L.A. is so hot you know, over the past three, four years, the projects you're competing with have driven up the price of the project. And we've certainly had had cost overruns. And when you look at this project, but I think the greatest credit to Stan is no matter the cost overruns, he's wanted to make sure we deliver the vision we always show to the city of Los Angeles, to our fans, to the NFL, to our partners. And so, you know, although those costs have crept up, Certainly, you know, our focus has been on making sure that the stadium is perfect. But then again, I say we remodeled a kitchen that was 400 square feet 
two years ago, and I think it was 30% over budget and two months behind schedule. So on a 3 million square foot stadium, I don't think that's surprising. So where do you see the price tag right now? Last I saw was $5 billion. Where do you see it creeping to? <clears throat> You know, the number that was presented to the NFL was $4.9 billion, which included a lot of the infrastructure for the 298 acres and some of those things. So that's not all stadium-specific. I don't think, you know, our stadium, when people use that price tag, it's not really apples to apples to anything else that's been done in the NFL. So I'm not sure exactly where it will wind up. Probably, you know, we still have another year and a half to go to see where it will be. But... Our goal is to make sure it's the best stadium on earth and stand and spare no resource to make sure that happens. Another thing that Brian Rolap did say, that this was going to be the, the, the best stadium in, in the country, the best entertainment experience in the country. Um, you, I know you can't say the, the, the full price tag right now, uh, but even that $4.9 billion, you know, that's, that's, that's two times the, the, the next most expensive stadium in the NFL. Is this a model that you think other teams can replicate, or just by virtue of the city, the events that you guys have, the size of the market, is this kind of the a thing that only L.A. and New York can do? Well, I, I think it's twofold, right? I think it's something only L.A. or New York or a major city could do or another global international city. But I think the other thing about that's unique about our stadium, it's what Brian said as well when you start with this project, is the per square foot cost of stadiums is going to go way up as you try to keep fans in their seats and make them entertained and technologically involved and have the best of culinary and the best of technology and the best of entertainment. Right? The only way to deliver that is a higher per square foot cost and per seat cost. And I think that's one of the reasons everybody's going to say, well, maybe you should try to cap it at 55, 60,000, some of those elements. You know, and truly, I think when you look at the stadium, we're trying to do both. And this stadium is the largest stadium in the world at 3.1 million square feet. Cowboys is around 3 million. That's about 50% bigger than any other stadium. I believe Atlanta is about 2 million square feet. So you are doing all of these things at an extraordinary level at the largest scale that's ever been done. And then you include, you know, we're fortunate enough with Brian and the rest of the NFL locating NFL media right across the walkway from our stadium and the infrastructure and the cabling and, and how you bring NFL media to life and how you bring a whole entertainment district to life. That's really where the costs come from. But, you know, would I attempt this in any other city? I, I wouldn't. And I think Stan is the perfect person to bring this to, to life in Los Angeles. And you mentioned the, the full campus, um, you know, three and a half times the size of Disneyland. I saw twice the size of the Vatican, you know, hotels, restaurants, retail. Uh, do you think of the Rams as still a football team first and foremost, or are the Rams a, a real estate company? Are they a, a, a total entertainment company? How do you think about the Rams in, in the overall? Well, I think as you sit here this week, you know, I certainly focus on the Rams being a football team. Uh, but I think Stan, you know, if you look at how many teams, you know, when you talk about ownership of five teams, ownership of, you know, altitude sports in Denver is a media enterprise. You know, what we're doing on the real estate end here in Los Angeles and, you know, building out that sports entertainment district. I think, you know, what you're seeing at Hollywood Park is the merger of real estate entertainment sports teams coming together. And, you know, this is the one person in Stan Kroenke who could get that done. We're talking to the COO of the Los Angeles Rams, Kevin Demoff. I have to ask, uh, obviously sports betting has been huge, and you are part of the biggest sports betting event ever. Prop bets for days all over the place. What your thoughts about sports betting and how it's going to probably grow in the U.S.? Well, I think one of the great things about sports betting is that it allows people to stay entertained week to week, game to game, You know, and I think prop bets – throughout the game. So if the game's a 30-point game, your prop bet still could be something that keeps people interested in the game. And to me, that's no different than fantasy football. How many of us 
have all watched the last play of Monday Night Football, you know, because we need three points from our tight end to win the fantasy week. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I think that <laughs> right, and I think everybody's got a story about that. And then I think gambling gives some of that that element as well. And it's clearly, you know, whether it's been legalized or done in Las Vegas or offshore, it's been something that people have been entertained by and participated by in a long time. And I think it's really that next frontier, and ultimately how that plays to the in-game experience and whether. You see the U.S. become more like London or, or England in terms of what you see at the Premier League and, and certain bets being allowed to be placed at stadiums, whether it stays solely at casinos, how states want to regulate this. I think it's all fascinating for us as we sit back on, on the frontier. I think from a team perspective, your, the first thought is make sure that the game is you know, protected, you know, has integrity, that people don't doubt what's happening on the field, that your players stay far away from this. And then at a macro level, you know, following the trends that happen in the U.S. and, and how it can help grow our fan base. And I, no different than we're talking about the, you know, getting people into seats and keeping them entertained. If this is a way that, you know, through sports betting being legalized, we can find a way to grow fans, you know, across the country, that's a great outcome. Do you think that the the outcry over the potential missed call against the Saints was, was louder in 2019 because? There are a number of states that that have legalized sports betting, and there there may be more NFL fans who had more than just a you know a casual rooting interest uh, in the game itself. I don't think so. I mean, I you know you see it. I mean, geez, you know Scott Van Pelt has a a whole you know, segment on back beats every night, every week. So I, I think that's probably the change more. You see all kinds of crazy outcomes. I mean, someone at media night asked Todd Gurley about you know, taking a knee at the one-yard line instead of scoring against the Packers, which changed, I, I think, the, the spread in the game, or they mentioned that it may have cost, you know, people money by not scoring. Right? I think there, there's that angle now to, to many things of, of how things play out and, and where they go. Um, but I, I think that's why it goes back to the integrity of the game is the most important thing to protect, and you certainly don't want calls or, you know, or a guy dropping a ball who's wide open being questioned for integrity. And that's first and foremost where, as a league, I think we have to make sure that, you know, we take those questions out of the game. We are chatting with Kevin Demoff, the COO of the LA Rams. And Kevin, I want to pivot to executive search. We did a Bloomberg uh, Business Week cover story not long ago when David Stern yielded to Adam Silver about sort of this easy transition. You guys, uh, you hired a 30-year-old coach. Uh, you were quoted as saying, I don't know how we're going to hire a 30-year coach. And then after meeting with him was, I don't know how we're not going to hire a 30-year-old coach. What was the interview process like, if I want to get hired as the coach of the Rams, what sorts of processes can I expect? God, God I hope we're not doing a head coaching search anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I think, you're, I think you're set for a while. Although, if I may, I don't need to go to Spago for my interview. I'm good with the in and out on Sepulveda. Well, we, we, I think we took Sean in and out at one point in the process. Spago is really the culmination. So <laughs> that, that was the, the closing dinner. But I, I think our viewpoint was... You know, and I know the trend now is everybody's talking about young offensive coaches. Sean was really the only coach we interviewed who fit that genre. Uh, we talked to defensive coordinators. We talked to people who had never been coaches. We talked to college coaches. Um, we talked to offensive coordinators. I think when you looked at, you know, the data, there is no subset of, of coaches, whether it's first time or offense or defense or college or former head coaches that has any more success in the NFL than others. The one data point we did find that was interesting was that really young coaches had boom bust qualities. They either won Super Bowls and went to the Hall of Fames or their ridicule jokes for their lifetime. Um, and 
you know, you, you realize you were taking a risk there, but it's like everything else we do in executive search. And, and, you know, we're a team on the business side. We don't hire usually from within sports. You know, we have picked people from Yahoo or, you know, from Disney, from tech companies, from Hershey's to come join our staff. You know, we really try to look at a, a different viewpoint to bring people who are sports fans into our organization, but bring the best principles of other businesses you know, elsewhere. And, and I think really the search process for head coach started with Stan challenging us to say, you know, go find the best coach for the Los Angeles Rams right now. And, and I'm not wedded to a certain type and, and being open-minded to even interviewing a third-year-old coach. And, you know, we did all of our homework. Everybody said Sean McVay was a superstar and they just didn't know when he'd be ready. And, and we kind of looked at it and I don't mean this tongue in cheek as we sit here in the Super Bowl saying, you know, we're probably not going to win the Super Bowl in 2017 if it takes him a year to learn on the job. You know, so be it. His year learning on the job was a division title uh, and a playoff appearance for the first time in a decade, and here we are two years later sitting in the Super Bowl. But I think the most important thing, emotional intelligence as a head coach, ability to lead, ability to communicate, you figure they can all call plays, no offense, defense, will hire a great staff, but it's really those, those traits, emotional intelligence, you know, being a great communicator, a great leader. And I think Sean McVay is not only a fantastic football coach, I think he could be a CEO of a tech company. I think he could run any Fortune 500 company. He's just that good of a leader. Lastly, was there a moment where you said, this is our guy, no doubt about it? Uh, right. I think, you know, our GM, Les Need wrote down five minutes in, you know, age doesn't matter. And I think as soon as Sean, you know, started talking, we all looked at each other. And it was more, uh, I think Les had it exactly right. Are we going to be... You know, are we willing to pull the trigger on something we know is right? Um, but from the moment we sat down and had dinner with Sean McVay, I think we were all blown away by this was a, a generational-type leader and challenge. And I think stand of the best word after we left dinner with Marshall Falk at Spago and, and despite Fergie and Josh DeHamel and Wolfgang Puck thinking that Sean McVay was an intern, uh, <laughs> I think it all came down to, you know, Stan Kroenke said, this guy is special, and I think that has proven to be. He comes into the league at a time when, you know, technology, I, I think, is fundamentally changing, at least the, the way people view the on-field product, uh, the, the RFID chips and shoulder pads. Do you think he's using and his staff is using tech in a way different than maybe a head coach, you know, who's, who, who's 30 or 40 years older is? I, I don't think different. Obviously, the tools and resources are all available to the teams in the same way. I think they're probably, I don't want to say they're more efficient, but they're certainly more comfortable being around tech, and they're certainly... You know, they understand players and social media because they've grown up using social media. You know, they, they understand, you know, how to access film quicker and get to their point of where they want to be. I think they're so efficient as a staff and how they use their time because of technology. That's not any different. You're sitting here, right, Bill Belichick, you know, I think was referenced a couple of years ago talking about MyFace or Spacebook or all of that. And he's <laughs> had great success. Pete Carroll's had great success and they're the two oldest coaches in the league they have multiple super bowl appearances between them so i don't think age is a determinant in success i do think they probably are more comfortable around technology but at the end of the day it's about leading people and that's the difference all right kevin before i allow michael Barr to wrap since you brought up his name can you give me your best your best wolfgang puck imitation i, I can certainly <laughs> not with a hoarse voice but uh you know the, the one memory i do have of the dinner is he came over and he you know, he and Stan are good friends. He sells a lot of Stan's wine at the restaurants. And, and he comes over and he says, Stan, I'm so excited, but we have to find a great head coach. And you got to tell me what you're doing. And he, he's really harping on, you know, how we need to find a head coach and someone who's won a lot of games. And, and Sean's sitting right there being like, I want to be that guy, but 
I promise you, if we took Sean McVay into Spago right now, Wolfgang would probably go talk to him first ahead of the rest of us. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> he's tops on the celebrity list right now. He is A-list right now. <laughs> and if he wins, forget it. It doesn't even pay. No, I, I, uh, let's hope this is the first of many for Sean, but we're going to enjoy it as it is. He is the COO of the Los Angeles Rams, Kevin Demoff, and I must say I'm sure Deacon Jones, Merlin, Olsen, they're looking down saying go boys. Oh, come on, Vince Ferragamo. Uh, oh, Vince Ferragamo. I'm saying that too. All right. <laughs> Love it. Oh, I, I, was, I was thinking more Warren Beatty and heaven can wait. <laughs> I was very glad that Jason Gay tracked them down. I, I knew somebody was going to talk to Warren Beatty, and I'm not surprised it was Jason Gay in the journal. I got to say, I'm glad somebody did it though. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Time now for takeaways. Here's my takeaway. First of all, we spoke to the COO of the Los Angeles Rams just before the Super Bowl. Yeah. Can you imagine how many emotions are going through his mind right now after all the reconstruction of the team? Now, far. I, I already addressed. I already addressed it with him. I said, "How important is the winning?" And it's just re- he's already won. He's yeah. already won. The, the flags are on the cars. The dogs are wearing the scarves, whatever he said. The attention <laughs> yeah. of L.A. is on the Rams during selling season. It might even be better, dare I say, it might be better for them not to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, 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 no. Then it's like, oh, once you win, you're like, eh. You but, play you know, to win no, the I'm game. From, from the, <laughs> yes, it, from <laughs> the business perspective. It might be like better for the Golden Knights not to have won the Stanley Cup, to keep that thirst, that aspiration. Good for that. Good for business. Yeah, but see, the, the Knights, they're a new young team. They're brand new spanking. The Rams have been around forever. Well, they just got back to L.A. Yeah, they just got back. I mean, but they go back to the fearsome foursome and all that. Give me Vince Ferragamo one more time. Uh, <laughs> Vince Ferragamo. All right. My takeaway from this whole thing was the one line where Kevin Demoff said, we don't hire from sports. Remember That's that? right. That's we right. don't hire from sports. We have Yahoo. We have Disney. We have Hershey. We have tech companies. We don't hire from sports. We want folks who like sports, sports fans, but bring a perspective from outside of the sports world. That was my takeaway. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. Let's make it a big fat Six billion. Now, you want the funniest part of this? I sent this to you, and I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I said, hey, Bar, this would be a good number of the week. And I have no idea. It's dollars. It was $6 yes, billion. It's dollars. $6 billion. That's what I, I would like in my bank account. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just saying. I go lower and be happy. I, I really don't remember what it was. Oh, man. I'm sorry. All right. $6 billion. That is the amount that is estimated that Americans will wager ah, on Super Bowl legally. 53. Legally or illegally? Did, did, uh, what did it say? I don't remember. Let's say, well, let's say it's by the American Gaming Association. Oh, so, that, so that's probably, I don't remember what, what they're putting out. But, hey, this is now the biggest sporting event in the country with some states having legalized sports betting. Uh, this is the last time, I'm guessing, CBS, Sean McManus, has said that they will not discuss anything that has to do with sports betting on the Super Bowl broadcast on CBS. I'm guessing that's the last time that will ever happen. 
Moving forward, the broadcasters will have to address it. I'm going to give you the breakdown of what you were talking about. Uh, 22.7 million American adults plan to bet on Sunday's game, and 1.8 million of those Americans plan to bet illegally through bookie, let's call them Benny, uh, with millions more likely to bet illegally through offshore online books. Well, we may or may not have a little box fun going on here at the office. And I remember I asked you, where are you putting your name? That's right. Because I wanted to be right next to you and win. And you probably and, and, and will. And Barbie like, oh, so close. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in another pool. You know what? No, no, I don't want to jinx it. I, I'm in another pool, but I don't want to jinx the numbers. Good luck Good to numbers, you. I hope. Uh, you've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports, and we are here each and every week for you at the same time, plus online as an Apple podcast. And you can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports, and you can follow Eben Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. Don't say it. Oh, and I'm Scott Soshnick. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. And thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with Rudy Klein-Thomas. He's the man that puts athletes and tech investors together. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.